0: There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? You can do it! Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said,
1: I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What
0: did he say? That's what she
1: said. When you think about running through the tea, Aylent Stadium for the first time this Saturday. They give you a little bit of chicken skin?
2: A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a Southern boy. I got no idea. Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening, brunch time, lunch time, wet week in Knoxville, Tennessee time, the rain kind of fits the mood time. We all are sitting here in Fort Rucker studio looking a little bit tired right now time. At least Ryan has a kid, so his makes sense time. Pat and I are just worthless time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, West Rucker ryan callahan patrick brown coming to you from fort rucker studio here on a thursday afternoon bringing this to you on a thursday evening or friday morning as always i love both thursday evening and friday morning two of my favorite times of the week so that's a really good how are y'all doing on this thursday evening or friday morning
1: I, I think i'm pretty good on on both yeah i i actually well i don't have a kid but um my sister in law just had just had a child. Yeah, congratulations! So I'm, I'm now yeah. an uncle with a, a nephew. First, so. first niece or nephew. Yes, uh, first in the family.
2: So, are you going to be the godfather yet? Have they decided? Uh, I don't know. I got, I, I got to talk about that. I, I hope so. I can talk. I can tell you all about godfather life.
1: How is it? Is it something I should strive to be?
2: It's pretty easy. It's just like one more person. You got to like make sure you remember their birthday and stuff. <laughs> And that's like another day during the 365 day a year calendar that I have to remember something.
1: Sounds like a pretty easy gig, for being honest. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's just like set a uh, set some on your phone. Of course, I, ho- I hope uh, Eden's not listening to this. But Eden, if you are listening to this,
0: well, totally remembers your birthday.
2: There are times where I get a note on my phone, and it goes, "Oh hey, it's time for somebody to get some birthday cash." Cause that's what Godfathers do, Do, right?
1: you, do you send him like a dollar for every age that he is? Are you that? Are you that uncle?
2: Well, no, I haven't done that to her yet. I mean, she's 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 not old enough to where like it would be enough money right now. It'd just kind of be uh, insulting. Infl- inflation, man. It's well, I mean, these the days of the five dollar check are over.
1: Yeah, but these days, you know, times are tough these days. If you can save a dollar when you're, if you can save two dollars when you're two, I mean, shoot,
2: that's true. It'd be like your father and I both understand the importance I mean, of work.
1: I mean, by the time you're eight, you've got like, crap. I can't, I'm not doing that math.
2: Forty dollars, <laughs> <$40? laughs> probably. That's enough that's to buy the new version of FIFA that's out. Sounds about right. Uh, uh, that might Boom. be that might be why I'm a little bit tired because I'm Boom. a because I'm in my mid thirties and yet I still get so excited every year when FIFA comes out. I can't help it. I can't help myself. It, it makes me feel like a and, kid. And this is
1: the year where they brought in the Europa League so, Ar- so Wes can play <laughs> with Arsenal true. as much as his
2: heart desires. That's true. Or the Champions League if your team is actually good, which Arsenal is not right now. They're they're more mediocre. They're middling right now, you could say. They're an also-ran, kind of. But, yeah, that's – um, it, it, for those of you who have never told before, that's how I uh, – pretty much every day, it's like in this job, is what it feels like anyway, that, that when you – in this job it's like somebody takes a rubber band and at night like it pulls it back pulls it back and then right the next day like every day you wake up and the rubber band snaps it's like things are happening from the time you're up till like 11 or 12 if if you're lucky and just there's always things going and now we do all this multimedia stuff so there's you know there's radio stuff podcast tv stuff writing you know i got to take photos even though i suck at it you know we we all have these jobs that we do and FIFA at night is how I... Well, you had a little bit of extra
1: stress on Wednesday night because the Cubs, man, they're flirting with it.
2: They are flirting with disaster. To quote Molly Hatchett, they are flirting with disaster. I mean, they're
0: not quite stumbling as they round third base uh, like yeah, the Cardinals. Was but I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> but, you know, they're, that's like a Tennessee kind of play. That
2: really was. That, that was a very false moment. That's, but th- that's, that, that's how I unwind from the day is I, I put uh, some podcasts or some music on my headphones and I play FIFA until I get tired, and then I read, and then I go to bed. That is my daily, like, unwinding routine. I'm sure that, Ryan, you have a kid, so it's just like, I'm, I'm just so tired I'm just going to fall over and sleep. Patrick, I don't, I don't know whatever it is that you do <laughs> in, in your life. That's
1: how I prefer it to be. The less people know about me, the better. Hey, you're you're already mentioning the Ron Swanson
2: mantra of life that you're that you have a that you have a, a young niece slash nephew. Now is it niece? It's a ne- nephew. Nephew. Oh, good. Little good for man. them. Good little for them. Man, yeah. Good for them. Boys are way better. Then you get. Um, you've already mentioned that though, so you've already told us a little bit about your private life.
1: And that's all I'm going to say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I should hold that stuff. I should hold hold that stuff over you for ransom. Be like, okay. You want you want, to, you, want you, you you want to see where nobody wants to know where you're going on vacation this year? I bet know. I can fix that. We
1: don't need names. We don't need to know where I went on vacation until after I return. We don't need to know.
2: That's fine. Hospitals I did. or anything like that. I did that. that stuff with Swain. I can do it with you. He's I, not I, an open I, book. I can I can respect the uh, I can respect my, my, those who want my, to live in the private sector. My business is my business.
1: It's not your business.
2: Yeah, but I see. I look at it like this: I'm never doing anything that is interesting enough for people to like care that they know you know i That's, just don't I don't I, I don't I don't think anything i'm doing is that interesting it's like what are you doing i'm like oh, i'm sitting here at this place eating barbecue and well, then i'm gonna go home i <laughs> might watch a movie I, I, I,
1: I, I get asked why i don't have an instagram and i'm like my life is not that exciting i don't need an instagram
2: plus my wife has one so <laughs> how many dudes yeah. have instagram here's me here's me petting my dog oh i'm sorry should i have said should i have said that you have a dog
1: no, I mean, I've I, I I tweeted pictures of her before, so she's cool.
2: That's fair. I'm, I'm just curious.
1: Plus, plus, most people love dogs.
2: That's well, true. Pretty much all
1: people love dogs.
2: The, uh, uh, I'm,
1: I'm going to segue here. Speaking of Vol's moments, I still can't get over how Oregon lost his Stanford for the other night.
2: And, and you want to know the connection? Oregon's sports information director <laughs> is former Tennessee sports information and uh, so- G, GFOP, FOP, Jimmy Stanton. He is... If you're listening, Jimmy, sorry that was that was quite a kick to the coin pouch. I think
1: it's probably Jimmy's fault, isn't it?
2: it, it listen, if you're Oregon, <laughs> if you're Oregon right now, and you're thinking, how did this happen? Well, like, you have to think, who have we brought in that has experience in this sort of uh, destruction, this man, sort of self-destructive tendency? And I think you have to look at Jimmy. I think I, you do. I, I don't think Jimmy. This was a very like
1: Oklahoma, Florida loss for Oregon. Ooh, like. Oof. They're up 24-7. They completely Bad. dominated the first half. They have a touchdown overturn because I mean it's a guy's walk. He's not walking, but I mean it's a he, his foot hits the pylon with the ball in his hand like the half-yard line. <clears throat> Next play, they fumble. I didn't watch I didn't see any of this happen because I was busy covering Tennessee's own debacle.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, they were debacling. And so first down Oregon fumbles. They, they're lucky to get the ball back. They have a second down play, third down play, a high snap, lose the ball. It's like it. 90 yard fumble under touchdown for Stanford. Oh,
2: you mean you mean shotgun goal line sucks.
1: Well, if you can't snap the ball, I mean Wes, I know you hate the shotgun, but it shouldn't be that hard no, no, to snap the I ball. I don't hate
2: the shotgun. I hate the shotgun uh, inside okay. the three yard line. But then
1: and then Oregon kind of did it themselves at the end of the game when they should have just taken knees as opposed to trying to get the first down. But at the same time, it's like you're trying to get a first down. It's third and one. You're trying to just win the game right there. I get it. Just don't have your fullback. Just don't have your running back fumble. I mean. But yeah, I mean the, the prudent coaching decision would have been just taking a run down the clock to twenty seconds and then punt. But
2: there's exactly one situation where I like shotgun in short yardage situations, and that is if you're spreading the field and you've got like a Tim Tebow at quarterback. If you got like a like a quarterback who's basically a fullback, then I'm okay with. What about that.
1: a Josh Dobbs?
2: He can uh, run. He's pretty. He he's pretty. quick, but I prefer the power uh, down there on the a, goal line. He's
1: got some power. He's he didn't just. Dis- Do you know how many how many SEC games has Tennessee won since Josh Dobbs left?
2: Not a lot.
1: <laughs> answer zero. I believe not a one is the answer.
2: Because Tennessee's SEC losing streak is now up to let's see here what is it yeah. ten. ten?
1: Ten. You're gonna need more hands to count it. Ten consecutive.
2: Ten consecutive SEC losses for the pride, proudful Tennessee football program, and uh, this one was was bad because you know sometimes you you loo- you play a game and you lose it because you don't have as many good players as the other team, or you have some injuries, or you know, you're rebuilding, or all of those things. Uh, sometimes you lose it because your coach doesn't understand what the standard football chart is and when you should go for one or two. Uh, sometimes you lose a game because of, of any other debacle that can happen. But when you turn the football over six times in a single game, you have no idea just what you could have done in that game. Because you have been so, so, so careless with the football. And that's where Tennessee was in, in this game against Florida. 47-21 the final. And Tennessee turned the football over six times. Florida turned it over one time. Do the math on how that thing went. Well, well, Tennessee the, had more yardage for most
1: of the game. Well, the, the math part of it is, is that four of, of Tennessee's turnovers led to, I think, directly three touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, three less than 25-yard drives.
2: Yeah. Um, That's somewhere between directly and indirectly.
1: Yes. Um, And then then Tennessee had two turnovers, one outside the red zone where at worst you're kicking a field goal. Mm -hmm. And given how Brent has kicked the ball this year, probably he's going to make it. Yep. Um, And then you had the fumble, the Austin Pope play through the the end zone. So that's 10 more points. So that's, what, 31 points swing Mm -hmm. right there? It was Mm -hmm. a 26-point game. There's your difference. I mean, it's not – it's not complicated and um you know we don't we don't know what the game would have been like had you know had, had Tennessee not not given itself a chance to win if that makes sense and and Pruitt even talked about you know he was asked one of his first questions on ball calls on Wednesday night was you know how we go you know basically how the offense is going to get better he said well you know if, if we don't have those two turnovers we have 31 points with with four turnovers and you'd say that's a pretty good night which would probably you know yeah I would he, he's he's right now kind of sounds like a, I don't want to say a cop-out answer, but, um, you know. In this case, I saying, don't think it is. Saying what if, you know, if, if we had done this. I mean, it's a good point, but it's also like, well, you didn't. So.
2: Well, yeah, because, I mean, when you turn... Normally, if, if total yardage from scrimmage in a game is similar, then the points on the board will be similar unless you have turned it over a bunch or you've missed field goals or you've allowed a special teams touchdown. If... If total yardage is even, then usually the score will be. And in this case, the score should have been. That was an even – That those were two, I think, kind of evenly matched teams. I still believe that. I think if they play ten times, I think Tennessee wins several of those games. I do. I really do believe really? that. Yeah, I That's... do. I mean, I think that when you watch the actual – like watch the play from – I mean, it, th- this was just – I mean, There was a a couple of things that were just – Tennessee just completely – and Florida deserves credit. That's what
1: I was about to say. But Tennessee
2: did a bunch of things to itself that were non-starters in terms of winning. And I don't care who you're playing. You do some of the things they did, you're losing that football game. That's why I I still – I'm not enamored with Florida. I'm just not. No, that's fair. And I, I, I don't think Tennessee's good. I didn't think Tennessee was good going into the game. I didn't think Florida was good going into the game, and I still don't think Florida is no. that good. I just think that if that game is a series, I think Tennessee picked some games off of it. I, I, just, I, I think that was a meltdown, and the kind what? of meltdown that Tennessee historically has against one team.
0: Well, I'll say this. We have a tendency when we see – I mean, six turnovers in general is usually a little bit fluky. There's got to be at least a couple in there that were – you gave them away completely, or there was, I mean, the Austin Pope one obviously is the one that stands out. You know, there are always going to be some flukes when you have that that bad of a performance. But I think also in this game, you got to give Florida credit for forcing those turnovers. Sure. And that's where, you know, Tennessee did some of it to themselves, but they also just missed some protections and stuff like that when Florida brought good pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there were times Florida brought five guys and Tennessee couldn't block them with six or seven. And that's that's a sign of a not very good team right now. Yes. So they, some of it you gotta you gotta just say Tennessee's got to get better or Tennessee just had a bad night. But some of it, I think Florida showed it's a it's a better team right now. So I, I I don't I'm not enamored with Florida at all. But I think Tennessee there still is this game showed me there still might be a slight gap between Florida and Tennessee just not talent wise, but just based on where they are right well, now in terms of picking up schemes and stuff.
1: Well, I, I think West makes a good point because these are these are both two flawed teams. I mean, very flawed. I mean, this isn't the I don't know if it's the worst Florida team, but you know, we've seen this before. You know, um, yes, we've seen Tennessee have calamities, as I like to say, that's a soccer term, yes, um, that they like to use over there when things go, are going horrifically wrong. A shambles, a sh- <laughs> yeah, and um, this was one of those games. I mean, I, you know, who and who's to say that Florida's not capable of going out there and turning it over four times if they play Miss, you know, they play Mississippi State on Saturday? What's to say they don't do that? I mean, they're fully capable An of it, the angry Mississippi and, State, and team. even. It, it, and even as much heat as the offense has taken, you know, it wasn't completely on the offense, you know, had the turnover on special teams with, with Sean Schamburger on the kickoff return. And then you had just a really bad play by Trayvon flowers on the, uh, Freddie Swain touchdown. Yeah. I mean, they had everybody covered until flowers has Swain in, in, in the zone that he was playing. He's, he's right behind him. And then he, for whatever reason decides to try to go chase down Felipe Franks, who's 15 yards away. That's just an, inex- that's, just, that's just an inexperienced mistake. And, um, you know, did Florida make that play or did Tennessee botch that play? I would say Tennessee botched that play, and that, and that's an example, uh, one of the many examples of situations where I think Tennessee's coaching staff put their players in positions to be successful. Uh-huh. The onside kicks another one. The Austin Pope plays another one, where players just didn't execute. I mean, it it, it you, it's iran Ryan pointed this out. If you have a seven man protection and you're going to, and you're blocking five guys, you your quarterback should not get laid out on that play even if they do bring a late blitz, like Florida did a couple times. Yep. So I, well, he, it was just a bad night all around, but this is not a great team anyway. And so when you have a not great team and they have a bad night, you're going to lose by 26 to a team that's meh.
2: Well, When, when people say things like putting guys in, in positions to succeed, he, here here's a couple of points. On that play with Flowers, the book on Florida's quarterback – The book on this guy has been, from the beginning of the season, people have understood this, when you blitz him, sometimes he gets better. If you drop six, seven guys into coverage, Franks gets confused. He does not read the defense or read the field very quickly. So the book on him is to sit back in a zone and make him make a decision. Because if he has to make a decision, he's going to make some mistakes. And on that play, you saw exactly why you do that, because he did not know what was going on for a while. He couldn't find anybody open. He didn't really panic, but he kind of started to. And then, all of a sudden, he starts to, to run around a little bit. One guy leaves their man, and it happens to be the most dangerous man on Florida's football team, and he leaves him completely wide open. And so if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you're saying, what more can I do to put them in a position to be successful? I have done exactly what this quarterback struggles with. I have 10 guys doing their jobs perfectly. I have one guy who doesn't do it, and it's a touchdown. What, what 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 can you do there? And then when you call this onside kick, and you've got four guys on one side where they've got three, and their guys have bailed a little bit early. So you've got at least four on three, arguably four on two to uh, get the football. It's
1: four on one when you – Actually, watch the play. Yes,
2: I mean because Florida, Florida's guys did exactly what Pruitt said they would do. They bailed a little early and they got out of the play. If you're Tennessee, when you got four guys going for it and you got not that many guys on the other side, here's what you do: every single guy has a job, a very specific job. You get this guy, you get that guy, you get that guy, and then you cover up all those other guys, and then your guy gets the ball and it should be easy right? You just push your guy out of the play or block him, and then one guy comes in and catches the ball. But one guy, instead of blocking his guy, tries to go get the ball. And so then you've got a an onside kick call that was perfectly called at the right time, perfectly executed by 10 guys on the field, including the kick, which is always tough. And what do you have? You have one guy not doing his job, and so you lose. And if you are Pruitt, in those situations, I can't tell you also people given Tyson Helton a hard time for some of the the play calls that he made. And I will agree that the second I think the second possession it was that was just a that was bad. That was that was that was a bunch of nastiness out there. That was not good. But there were a couple other plays where if you watch the film, they could not have made a better call against the defense they had. And they just needed to make one block and they did not make that block. If you are a coach. You can't go out there and block for somebody. You can go out there. You can teach them techniques and practice. You can drill them into them, and that's where you can point to yourself and say he could have done better, I guess. But at the end of the day, the guy just has to go make a play, and Tennessee does not have guys right now who are either good enough or confident enough to go make those plays, and that is not on coaching. I don't think it is.
1: Well, and for, for if you went back, on, if you were watching the game on ESPN, you heard Rod Gilmore kept using the word desperation, which was. I mean, absurd. I don't know. Talking about kicking the onside kick down 14 3 and going for the two downs Tennessee went for. No, it's, a, it's a smart
2: play.
0: I didn't hate the call because they obviously saw something, I, but I, I do wonder how the game turns out I, if you don't do it.
1: I don't know what Rod I Gilmore love was the call. thinking because I love all three of those plays were there for the taking. Yes. You, know, you look at the first one, the, the throw to Dominic Wood Anderson, you get a matchup against a linebacker. It's basically you go turn around, box him out, and we'll throw you the ball hit him right in the chest because his other arm was being grabbed because this officiant crew didn't know what pass interference was. That's true. um, The entire game. Uh, Then the fourth down play with Austin Pope was a really gutsy call. And how many times – I even said in my bold predictions last week, they'll probably run a throw – they should throw the ball to the fullback on the wheel route because that plays undefeated.
2: Best playing Uh, football.
1: And then the onside kick should have worked. If, you know, it was – you know, Theo Jackson was the guy that should have gone and and blocked the Florida guy and he didn't do it. He went for the ball. Uh, It was supposed to be Alante Taylor who was supposed to be the, the ball guy. Go get the ball. Yeah. Um, and, and Jackson didn't have a good game. He had the, uh, the, the touchdown pass to Tyree Cleveland. He was in position to make that and just didn't get his head around. And then he had another pass completed to on him early in the game after the first turnover too. But uh, another thing Pruitt said on his coach's show about the, the first fumble uh, when, when Garantano got lit up from, from his blind side, uh, he said that that was a protection and a blitz that they worked on blocking all week. And if you, if you work on something all week – like an onside kick, like something as small as a protection and your players don't go do it on Saturday. I mean, what can you do? There's not, I mean, and, and I, 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 I don't, a, I'm not I trying mean, to throw
2: players under the bus, but they're, there's I'm not either, but, but I'm just, but there's nothing. I mean, you got to do what you're, what you're supposed to I, go do.
1: Yeah. You know, if you're a coaching staff, do you say, I guess we should have repped it five more times until, until it's perfect. You know, I guess that's, I guess that's what you got to do. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, they, they just, you know, they didn't give themselves a chance and, um, yeah,
2: and, and and here here's why. Going into that game, we said, and I wrote a column about it. We talked about it. It is hard to see a pathway for Tennessee to go to a ball game if it does not beat Florida, because mm-hmm. that is the most winnable of the tough games that you know Tennessee has. That 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 game, especially in Neyland, should be a toss up. And now Tennessee is in a situation where you look at this and you go man, I think they're closer to a three-win team than a bowl team right now. And that has a little bit to do with Tennessee, obviously, but to me it has more to do with just who they're playing. It just so happens that they're playing Bama and Auburn from the West. It just so happens that right now Missouri has a first-round draft pick at quarterback. It just so happens right now that Kentucky has cycled up into one of those years every few years where it's pretty decent So, and just be the ranked Mississippi State team. So you're looking at this and you're going – where are the wins? And they're hard to see. And, and that that's that's what this I guess I don't know if you want to call it the 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 theme, the the title of this podcast. It, 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 it's basically what we're discussing here. It is can this thing get better? Is it as bad as it looks? And is this thing going to just bottom out? And when you look at the schedule. I'll be honest with you, it it gets hard to see where this gets better. And this is going to be a mental and physical grind for this team. And it's going to be something that Jeremy Pruitt, to be quite frank, has never experienced.
0: The The rest of this season now becomes about the kind of resiliency Tennessee can show. Yes. Because the next three to four games are really going to test them. And, and we've seen Tennessee do this before. If you're looking for – uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, Tennessee was in a very similar situation in 2010 in Derek Dooley's first year. Yep. They started off 2-6 and six that year. The difference maybe was the schedule got pretty easy in November. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Memphis, a not very good Vanderbilt team, a not very good Kentucky team. Ole Miss was really bad. Ole Miss was bad, and Tennessee blew them out. So that that schedule allowed for that, and it's you knew it set up for that. So that once they got past that, that really tough stretch in October, they, they could – they put in a young Tyler Bray at quarterback, and things look better um, because they beat some bad teams. This team, that on paper, I'm not sure they're better than anybody left on their SEC schedule. Correct. Vanderbilt, Kentucky, those are going to be toss-up kind of games at best.
2: If you if you can get after Kyle Shermer, you can beat Vanderbilt. If you let him make passes, you give him time to throw, Vanderbilt has a chance to beat you. And, so.
0: and Kentucky looks pretty good. So so that's the that's the problem. But you've got to get through these next three games for sure. Uh, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama uh, without suffering any major injuries. I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing about this. Tennessee has not been just devastated by injuries yet. And, and they've still struggled uh, the, the way they have in a couple games. So they,
2: which it, means what do you do with Garantano the yeah. next few weeks? It is a tough question. And it's one that I think we should probably discuss because, on this podcast. Because this, I mean, you can't,
0: just punt the next three games. I mean, you can't rule out that you can pull off an upset against an Auburn or whoever, whoever might be.
2: Auburn's got its own problems. Yeah.
0: One of those games could be right for the picking. If you play really well and have a, have a game plan that throws them off or something. But, um, but otherwise you've got to kind of more survive these next three games, get better along the way and hope you're not too worn down. So when you start that final stretch with, with a trip to South Carolina that I think is at least winnable on the right day, um, it's not a game that's going to be an easy upset for them by any means, but it's a game that I think could be winnable because South Carolina doesn't blow out many teams. That's, that's the only way I'm looking at it. So, so I, once you get through that stretch, you've got to be in a good spot where you're not too worn down. You're not too devastated by injuries and you're still confident enough to start to kind of turn on the switch and be able to play better down the stretch.
1: Well, and, and it's easy to say coming off this ghastly performance and the way that you know some of the other, these other teams in the east are playing about the november portion of the schedule and make assumptions on it now but things could be very different in six weeks i mean you look at you know missouri between now and then has got to go to south carolina alabama and florida and they got to play memphis at home and kentucky at home and hey we don't know what's going to happen and, to other and, teams and we don't now know now what's going to happen with kentucky they their game before tennessee is is georgia at home so I they mean, can be beat up after that game i mean hey drew lock could be um, here we don't know what's I mean, going to happen yeah and, and so over you know over these, over these next three games, if you're Tennessee, you just want to see better – you, you want to see what we expect to see, and that's that Georgia, Auburn, Alabama have much better players than Tennessee, and you want to see that be the difference, not Tennessee shooting itself in the foot yeah. or making you know questionable coaching decisions, things like that. You want to see Tennessee take strides in what Jeremy Pruitt wants them to take strides in, and that is – being the best they can be on, on at a, on a given day and giving themselves a chance to win. He always says it's about what we do, it's about what we do, it's not what the other team does. And so that's what it's got to be about. And yeah, they they're gonna go try to go win these games. They're gonna coach to win these games. If you know there's some there's gonna be some moments where I think Pruitt will be aggressive. He's shown to be aggressive uh, in these first four games. Um and in these next three, what have you got to lose? I mean nobody expects you to win anyway. You're a thirty two and a half point underdog. In Georgia on, on Saturday, if you've got things up your sleeve, this would be the time to do it because you're gonna have to help your team. Uh, Tennessee's gonna have to steal some points from the sideline because on the field, Georgia's got way better players. Yeah. And so that's that's a huge gap to overcome. But
2: and to me, when you look at when you look at Pruitt and and the mentality that he has, and the mentality that he's always had as a coach, and the mentality that that uh, of the Tennessee players he inherited there was quite a quite a gap there and quite a difference and i think that you can tell he is he's not making he's not even making this a secret he's coming out and saying i don't know what these guys thought in the past but it's time to get over that this is going to be an aggressive team we are going to make bold decisions we are going to be in your face we are going to play press coverage we are going to try to take shots down the field we are going to fake you know, we're going to do onside kicks. We're going to throw fourth and one play action, fullback passes for 55 yards in big situations. Those are the kind of things that we're going to be doing around here now. We're going to be trying to coach to win games, and I expect you guys to play to win games. And that's why it gets interesting the next couple of weeks is because Pruitt keeps saying, that he keeps trying to put his guys in the best situations to win the game. So does that mean you go out devil may care in these games, or does it mean you go out and you go a little bit in a shell, try to manage it, make a couple big plays, and give yourself a chance?
1: Well, in two of these next three games, it's going to be interesting because Pruitt's going to have, I don't want to say an inside track, but he's going to know Alabama and Georgia pretty well. Like he just Mm – it wasn't that long ago that he was preparing, scouting, and and calling a game against Georgia's offense. Correct. Um, So, you know, we – this is maybe not a good example, but we saw with Matt Patricia, and with the Lions and the Patriots the other night. He, their, their game plan worked perfectly, and they won that game. They hit Tom Brady. They took the ball away from him. They doubled Rob Gronkowski because I know that's that's the way that uh, the Patriots move the ball down the field. And and, it because,
2: and because Brady's not uh, Brady and CP <clears throat> are not on the same wavelength. Well, oh, I the mean, same kind of guys. I mean, I don't.
1: He only got one target in that game, so it's not yeah. like. I so mean, I mean, like, like
2: he won't even throw his well. But
1: like, um, yeah, you know, that that's not. That's not a great example, but it's a similar example. The big difference in that is that in the NFL, generally the talent level is pretty similar. Yeah. Whereas right now you've got a Georgia team that looks like Alabama East, and you've got a Tennessee team that's five games into a, a pretty big rebuilding job where they got to revamp pretty much everything. The, uh, you've got a roster that has not that has had players that haven't been developed or have been injured, uh, and you've got them playing in a new system that they weren't recruited to play in. The,
0: the, the thing I I guess I want to know is, you know, we thought – Last year was maybe this team, this program, sort of bottoming out, and you think that a coaching change is always when things start to go back up. And I think that's what fans thought going into this year. They thought, you know, and we even thought our, our our preseason predictions were five and seven, six and six, seven and five, not three and nine, four and eight. Were we wrong in thinking that this team hadn't quite hit rock bottom, and that after losing guys like John Kelly and Rashawn Gold and even their starting corners from last year? That after losing a few more guys from that roster, that they were still going to take one more dip even farther, or not get any better at least before next year, things finally start to creep upward. Uh, were we underestimating just how limited this roster is?
2: No, I think if you if you look at if you look at the Kirby Smart model at Georgia, they took a pretty big step back his first year. People forget this now, and it mm-hmm. could be, and they shouldn't because it wasn't that long ago. But that first year. Georgia goes 7-5 and in the regular season, loses to three of its four biggest rivals, beat only Auburn, lost to Florida, lost to Tech, lost to Tennessee. And that team had won 10 games the past couple years. So they went from going 10 wins, 10 wins, boom, 7-win regular season. And people are going, what is Kirby Smart doing there? And what Kirby Smart said that entire season was that he was putting – a culture in place. He was putting a foundation in place. He was teaching his guys how the Georgia Bulldogs were going to do things now. And granted, he had more talent to work with there, but the the, the basic premise to me is not different. You're going in there as a coach. These guys from the Saban tree, they believe what they believe. They've seen it work at the highest level, and they don't think it's broken, so why try to fix it? And But that requires... Like if you go to military boot camp, you'll see the same thing. Talk to any of your friends who are in the service. If you're in the service yourself, thank you for that service, by the way. But what you you probably know is that you're going to get... Torn down before you get built back up. Mm-hmm. That is what co- football coaches do. That is what uh, drill sergeants do. That is what military leaders do. And in business, sometimes even good business leaders, like when when I'll speak candidly, when I came over uh, from the paper side to the internet side, there were a lot of things that I just was not used to doing a certain way, and I bucked a little bit when they would tell me at first, "Hey, you need to do it this way," and I would think, "What are you talking about? This is stupid." And then they're like, basically, okay, you do it your way, and then you do it our way, and let's see which one works better. And that's why you hear Jimmy Pruitt
0: saying everything's new.
2: And their way worked better most of the time. Not every time, but most times it did. And I said, huh, well, okay, now I'm I'm a believer. Now I see this. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it takes sometimes. You're going to have to go out there and get your tail kicked a couple times, but you're going to have a coach saying, you know what? Down 40 to 21 in the last couple minutes of a game, I'm going to stack the line of scrimmage. I'm going to come after you. Because what's the difference in forty and forty-seven? I love that because they're trying to make a play to get a turnover and get back in the game. He doesn't care if, if he loses forty to 21, 47 to 21. He doesn't care. Yeah, it's the same to him. It's a loss. He wants to go out there and win the game.
1: And, and looking at that that back of that Georgia twenty sixteen season, um, they went seven and five. Uh, they had two losses by a point, and then in addition to the hail mary game, yep. Um, Ole Miss beat the. Breaks off of them, but they also had two road games uh, against Missouri and Kentucky that went that they won basically at the end. Uh, I think Missouri was a game they drove down in the field and uh, drove down at the end of the game and won. But th- but when you watch that team, it felt like a team that was very much in transition. Mm-hmm. And then last season they came out and it took like two games for you to be like, well, we know what that team's identity is. They're gonna they've got big dudes up front in the offensive line and they're going to pound you for four quarters. And they got two then, great running backs. And they had two great running backs. Georgia's always had good running backs. Um, and tight ends yeah and you know they finally said that's what we're gonna do this is gonna be our bread and butter we we can always get good running backs here so we're gonna get a bunch of big dudes who block for them they had a ridiculous haul on the offensive line in this 2018 class so that's going to continue they've got one of the best offensive line coaches in the country in Sam Pittman and then defensively they were they look like Alabama fast athletic pressuring all those things they came they had an identity
2: yep
1: and through four games this season Tennessee also looks like a team that's still trying to figure out what it is um, and, and we've talked about this some in recruiting too. Some of their, you know, some of the guys they're taking, or maybe I don't want to say head scratchers, but they're not all five star guys, but they're guys that fit what they want to do. Yeah. Especially on the defensive side of the ball, they have guys that they um, envision playing this role, this particular role, and so um, that's part of this too. And another thing is is that this season so far through four games, it's really airily similar to what Butch Jones did in his first year. And yeah. This might be the first time. First, similarity between Jeremy Pruitt and Butch Jones. Hey, hey, uh,
0: and and bear with me here. No, bear with me here. People have been asking already, you know, who inherited (laughs) a worse roster, Butch Jones or Jeremy Pruitt? Very similar.
1: Bear with me here. Let's do the first four games of Butch's season. Okay, Austin P., overmatched in in state FCS team. They're the East Tennessee state of this year. Uh, They played Western Kentucky that year, which I guess was they were much better than UTEP. Uh-huh. But it was still a you know non-conference home game that Tennessee won comfortably, if not convincingly. It was fifty-two twenty, but Western Kentucky had like I think four turnovers on four straight plays at one point. Uh-huh. Uh, there was the Oregon game in twenty thirteen where um, Tennessee just got this was like the West Virginia game. There was yeah. a brief glimmer of like, hey, it's, this team I compete. They scored earlier than it was <laughs> over. The the the
2: future NFL star Jason Kroon, with the
1: touchdown. Seven nothing, and then Oregon scored fifty nine straight points and could have scored hundred if they left Marriott in the game the whole time. Um, and that was sort of the okay, wow, we have a long way to go between. Uh, Oregon was ranked two, so it was like a lo- that was a realization leaving Eugene that day that wow, Tennessee's got a long, long way to go to get to like the elite. And in West Virginia this year, it's like okay, they got a long way to go to get to like top fifteen. Um, even though they didn't, they didn't play great in that game. And then, you know, the Florida game in 2013 was the Nathan Peterman game, which was uh, also a calamity. Yeah, Tennessee. And that was a game that Tennessee might have won because I, I think they knocked Jeff Driscoll out of that game on, like, for, wasn't, on the first series.
0: Wasn't that the 4-8 and eight Florida team also? Bu, the, uh, the, It might have
2: been. The um, Buffalo Bills liked what they were seeing from that Tennessee team, clearly, because yeah. they, they wanted Peterman, they wanted Hey, Peterman, and they wanted Krim. Um, yep. But that was
1: the game where, uh, yeah, I think Jeff Driscoll got hurt early in the game, and then Florida brings in Tyler Murphy, who turned out to – I think he was a decent quarterback at Boston College after he transferred, but uh, he comes in there and they win that game, and that game, you know – if they don't start Peterman in that game, maybe they have a chance to win it, given the circumstances of what happened. But, you know, they don't give themselves a chance to win at Florida. Now, the rest of that season, um, you know, you saw them get better. They had a close scare with, with uh, South Alabama. Um, but then oh, they had yeah. to play number six, Georgia, number 11, South Carolina, number one, Alabama, number 10, Missouri, number nine, Auburn. And they lost Alabama, Missouri, and Auburn in a three-week stretch. By 35, 28, and 32 points.
2: That was that five-week. I mean, people talk a lot about Tennessee's toughest five-game or four-game gauntlets. That, to me, was the toughest that I'd seen, so, was that five-game gauntlet but, right there. But that's
1: and, – and no one thought – you know, I'm sure everyone thought after they lost to Oregon and Florida, there was like, there's no way they're beating any of those SEC, any of those five games. And yet they pushed Georgia right to the end, and they beat South Carolina. So is Jeremy Pruitt somehow able to conjure up a South Carolina moment? over these next five weeks?
2: It's possible.
1: It's possible. I, I, but here's, here's it's probably what, your best bets. probably South Carolina. And, and it or may, or not, may not be ranked at that point in the time.
2: Like, I'm not saying he doesn't care about this, because I think that's – again, he won 88.1% of his games that he was an assistant coach for. That is, if you're wondering, the exact same winning percentage that Newt Rockney had in his career. That is an absurd winning percentage. So this is completely foreign to him. And – I thought one interesting that he gave this week really kind of really kind of let me know that I think he does see the big picture here that that he's not just in the here and now.
1: Well, it has to be it has to be a big picture kind of season for Tennessee fans, and they they don't want to hear that because it's been the same way for the last ten years. But Pruitt is he may not be able to improve the win loss record very much or at all this year, but he can get this team moving in the right direction in terms of being a cult, you know. Forming a culture and an identity and an attitude that they obviously desperately need a makeover of after that, last season.
2: There was one really, really, really good answer that he, It was actually during vol calls, uh, during the uh, amid the hilarious, stupid questions from so many people. <laughs> he got a couple of good questions toward the end from from people, and they were people who had patiently waited on the line, listened to all the other idiots talk, and then went. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm going to have to smarten this up a little I'm bit. I'm
1: mentoring that those guys at the end knew that Quentin Dormady does not play for Tennessee Yeah, I think,
2: I think they they realized that Quentin Dormady is, and Garrett are not the same person. Freudian slip. I'm Whew, sure. Rough. But the uh, he went out there and he said, listen, he goes, a lot of y'all out there, you're thinking about the last game we played and you're thinking about the next game we play and you're thinking, why did we lose that game and how can we win the next game? He goes, that's fine. That's what you should be doing. From this side of things – I got to look at this and say, I'm trying to build a program here. I'm trying to get Tennessee not just back to good. Like, I want Tennessee to be great. I want Tennessee to be back to where it should be. But I have to make decisions on a daily basis that make that possible in the long run. And that is something that people are not going to like to hear. But I think they should like to hear it. And the reason is... You don't want to go to any of these games thinking there's no chance. It's it's not fun. I have been a fan of some really horrible Chicago Cubs teams where you just went to every season going. I mean, this is gonna be this is gonna be painful, and it's just it's just part of it. But you have to see what they're doing, and what they're trying to do here is he's trying to inst- instill in them an aggressive mindset. He's trying to find their identity because I think what he wants them to be right now is not something they're capable of being from a physical standpoint. But he's just trying to show them this is what we're going to do and this is how much stronger and bigger you're going to have to get to be able to do this. And I think that he is – and I'm not saying that he's junction Boysing them, but I, I do think that he is – He's pushing people. I think he'll cull the herd after this season. I think you'll see some guys processed. I think you'll see him start looking at this thing and saying, okay, now I saw what we have, and now I know exactly how far we've got to go. What? And I think, he's, I think this season is about pushing guys to see who's with him and who's getting off the bus, and go from there. There's
0: a good point you, you make in there about that. You know They're seeing now how much stronger they have to get, not only just to compete with the SEC in general, but to do well with what they're doing. Yep. Because they're running an offense that, honestly, if you were trying to come up with the best way to make Tennessee win more now, wouldn't be this. It's not this. It's not pro style. It's,
2: you'd, you'd spread it out.
0: Yeah, pro style offenses are – great when you have the best talent on the field and when you have the worst talent on the field they're a great way to make sure you get your teeth kicked in sometimes yeah so and i think that's what's happening to tennessee right now because right
2: now you've got a quarter you've got a quarterback who um is not really a great runner but he can run a little bit you've got offensive linemen who are not huge and who would be better blocking in space and you've got i think and i really do believe this multiple future NFL wide receivers on this yeah. team i think you've got And beyond that, a couple of good bottom floor, really, really good college football wide receivers. I really, really like Tennessee's wide receiver group. I look at all these wide receivers of teams that they've played. West Virginia's on its own planet, okay? But Tennessee's wide receivers, compared to, say, Florida's, night and day better, not even close. They've got guys there, so if you wanted to win, this is, you have a Chandler who could slash and go through holes and yep. stuff in in a, in a spread formation. That's that's what you would do because this team was recruited to do that.
0: And I was gonna say this team was recruited to run more zone, so this offensive line is better equipped for that. Yep. You know, you're you're transforming all of this in one year. I noticed. I think Jared Garantano is better at diagnosing plays at the line of scrimmage when they spread out. Mm-hmm. He can tell blitzes are coming because you're, he's more used to seeing the field spread out like that when you pack seven guys in the box it's harder to tell where the pressure's coming from he maybe doesn't see it as easily that's that's maybe just a, a wrong guess but that's what it looks like to me sometimes so uh, all those things together you you do have to incorporate the style you want to run long term but in the in the short term it is going to make it harder i think for them to win this year because they're running that style so yeah you're you're showing the team how far they have to go you know, how much stronger they have to get to do what they, they want to do in the meantime, you're going to have some major growing pains, as we're seeing right now, but we'll see if it pays off later this year. But, again, it's a big-picture view. It's about what's what this might lead to down the road more so than this year.
1: Kind of departing from um, talking schematics, uh, it's just cortez app situation. Yep. Which It's been really interesting to hear kind of, kind of handle it publicly because um, there's obviously all that stuff. You know, people saw it on the sideline. People saw it, you know if a player is walking to the locker room with, like, no assistance. Pointing to his mama. Pointing yeah. to his mom at the stands, people are going to be like, "What's that doesn't look right. Yeah. Um, and to Pruitt's credit, he uh, addressed it when he was asked about it after the game. I mean, how many times did you hear a coach be like, we're not, you know, but like, no, I'm not going to say anything about that. Or just, no, comment it. But he was like, here's what happened. Here's here's what You know, and, and it, it kind of seems like to me, like there was a miscommunication there. Like, I think maybe Pruitt was told that, that Sap refused to go in the game when that might not have been the case. And that's something that, that uh, Sap in his tweet on Sunday morning said. You know, I think everybody got caught up in saying that his direct contradictions to what, what Pruitt had said the night before. But he also said that there was a miscommunication. That was the narrative that was out there. Yeah, yeah. And so it sounds like when they talk Sunday that they figured out what happened and, and Pruitt has been effusive in saying that, that Sap's been good for our program, is a good student, he's a good leader, he's a good ambassador, all these things. Um, and so it seems like they're just – they're moving it on. Now, we'll have to see if, if Cortez here the whole rest of the season. I mean, with all these guys playing four games and leaving, uh, now Sap obviously has a year left to play anyway, and he's already redshirted. But, um, you know, I think that's an interesting – It because we all kind of thought going into the season or, or when Pruitt got here that any situations like this that arise, he would be kicking guys to the curb. Yep. If – Darren Kirkland wants to leave. You don't want to be part of this? See you. Instead, Pruitt's like.
2: Boy, in hindsight, how, how lucky are they that he came back? He's well, he, playing really good
1: football right now. Uh, he, he, their linebackers were non existent the other night. Um, I
2: thought Kirkland played all right from what I saw.
1: No, every time every time Florida had a good run, I Tennessee's linebackers were getting blocked, blocked eight yards yeah. downfield. No, see,
2: Batuli's <laughs> been the guy to me who needs to play a lot,
1: and and, and I think Ignat played pretty close to just as much as Kirkland. Ignat was in there a lot. He's played a lot of the last three games. I might amazing. have to, to I see. might have to
2: eat my words, but I thought when I was out there looking that he was thirty four was doing all right. I,
0: I I saw in general what Patrick saw a lot okay. of guys not getting okay. off blocks. In
2: general, though, I think we can agree Kirkland's played pretty well this season. He's
1: I mean anything you've gotten from him, I think is sort of gravy given where he was going in the season, but uh you know sap hasn't been playing clearly you know there's been something there's been some sort of disconnect there because he plays like just a couple snaps against ctsu he doesn't play against utep pruitt says oh he has a bone bruise we held him out and a few days later pruitt's like oh he played on special teams and so something is amiss there and i'm sure sap probably feels like he based on what he did last year and what he's done for this coaching staff this offseason in terms of Doing what they've asked him to do, moving from outside linebacker to inside linebacker, adding more weight. Still the first
2: person through every drill. Yeah,
1: I mean, in doing all of these things, I'm sure Cortez saying, "Why am I not playing more?" Yeah. Um, And especially when he, you know, these players aren't, you know, they don't have their head in the sand. They know if their coach is out there saying, "Oh, he's hurt" or whatever, and so there's clearly some sort of disconnect there. So that's why I'm thinking this. uh, As much as they want to move on from it, Cortez is going to be a guy that we're going to have to like check on every day at practice that we see this year, just to make sure that he's still there, but. Um, yeah, it's just it's interesting. And, and Pruitt said after the game, you know, we're, I don't know how it was done here in the past, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to have guys that refuse to go in the game now. Whether or not that that was actually the case, we'll see. But um, it, it's interesting to me that the Pruitt is handling some of these player situations like a Kirkland, like a SAP, differently than I think just on the surface it would appear. It seems like he's a no nonsense guy, my way or the highway kind of guy. But he seems very much like I think he's practical. He's very practical and he's very player oriented. You know, and he's going to say, you know, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, if, if Sap comes to him next week and says, I want to transfer, I want to go, you know, I can still get into this junior college and are ready to play next year, whatever. Um, if 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 Corte feels that's the best for him, Pruitt will be on board with it. Just like Kirkland saying, you know, I think my future might be elsewhere for the last two years. Pruitt said, if that's what you feel like, we'll help you out. Um, so, and, and, you know, but it's different from – and this is all getting back to the big picture stuff we're talking here about how he's handling players and how – um, different it was from, from the way it was before. Uh, and, and, you know, we've heard some of, you know, some of Pruitt's former players, and it'll be interesting to see on Saturday how many of his former players uh, he talks to because uh, watching him before the game against West Virginia, there were a couple guys that uh, I think he recruited at Alabama, had a guy transfer from, from there to West Virginia while mm-hmm. Pruitt was there, and I think Pruitt went down and talked to him. He's going to have a lot of guys on this Georgia team that he recruited two and three years ago. Uh, Michael Hardman, DeAndre Baker, are, are two of the main guys. Um, if, if is he going to have a, a lap before during warmups and just yeah. be like, "Hey, good to see you. You know how are you doing?" Things yeah, i pr- like proud
2: of you, man. You're playing good. Yeah, yeah.
1: and please be nice to us today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, it's going to be interesting to see that because we hear a lot of stuff about Pruitt being a, a player's coach, and we've seen sort of some things that suggest that, and also suggest that any inkling that he was just going to be running fifteen guys off before his first season. Uh, was false. Now there's going to be some turnover because they've got to work out the numbers and obviously they want to bring in as many of their own guys as they can. And there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be like, I'm not a fit. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to go play somewhere else where I can play.
2: I'll say two quick things on that. One, I think Pruitt is a, and I 100%, I 100% believe this. If you give Pruitt 100% as a player, he is your he is a player's coach. If you give him everything you have, he will look out for you. And it might be a situation where he says, you know what, I like you. You're a good football player. You've worked hard, but you're probably not going to play here right now. So if you want to go somewhere, I will help you find somewhere where I think you will play. And I think he will mean that, and I think he will be sincere about that because he was a former player himself. He does think like a football guy. He, he If you give him everything you have, he's going to give you everything he has in return. And if you don't, then he's not necessarily a player's coach. But you, ha- it's a two-way street. If you give him what you got, then he's going he's gonna to be good to you. And I think with this SAP thing, I'm reminded of a, of a quote I've heard several coaches give over the years, and I 100% believe this too, that you you treat every single person fairly, but you do not treat them exactly the same. Because there are guys who, for whatever reason, maybe it's because they're more talented, maybe it's because they're better kids, maybe it's because whatever it is, but you might be a little bit more likely to forgive them because you believe in them more. And that is how life goes. And I think this SAP deal to me is a deal where that kid has put so much goodwill into this program and so much sweat equity and so so many of these important things that you have to give. And SAP is a guy who my natural inclination is to believe he didn't just snap for no reason. That's my belief. I don't think he's a dumb kid. I don't think he is a bad kid. He would have been on the five or ten least likely guys that I thought would have done something like this in a game. So I think that guys like him, you are more naturally inclined to listen to and say, okay, how did we get here? What happened? And if he says, this was a miscommunication, that's not what I said, then you might say, okay, this time I'll believe you because you've been a good kid. So I think that's why if somebody else does something like this, it might be different, but because it's a guy like Saf I think you say, okay, I'll listen to you.
1: Well, and I think the initial fan reaction to this, this situation was uh, Pruitt needs to make an example of him, send him packing. Not all that kid, not that All that, that kind of stuff, and, and Pruitt was never going to do that until he met face-to-face with Gorte, with and, and they worked it out. And in hindsight, it, it, maybe Pruitt doesn't answer the question the way he did. Maybe he said, you know, yes – he left, he left the sideline, but we're going to talk about it tomorrow. We'll yeah. go from there. I maybe, wonder, maybe I wonder that if was he
0: a, made a mistake a little bit. Maybe
1: that of, was a situation where <clears throat> if Pruitt could do it over again, maybe that's how we would approach it. Because the,
2: the initial confrontation was not with Pruitt. It was with someone else on the sideline. Correct,
1: and, and that's where maybe the miscommunication might have happened. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's uh, – again, I think a lot of people – Looked at it and, and took it for what it was worth on the surface Saturday yeah, night and soft, thought,
2: this is a soft butch player yada yeah, not
1: yeah and, and things like that and um and, and we even cautioned I think when we did some Facebook Live video on Saturday night after the game saying you know we gotta there's, there's gonna be two sides to every story uh, and it's been interesting this week that Pruitt uh, this week that Pruitt has been you know we talked it's done we're handling in house we're talking mm-hmm. you know it's gonna be between us what we said. And, and compare that to how he answered it Saturday night, and and again I wonder if, in hindsight, maybe he would have taken a different approach. But I'm not I'm not saying he should have taken a different approach. Um, I was surprised he answered it at all, to be frank. Um, I like that he did though. I did too. It made made for you know, I don't want to say it added controversy to it, but
2: no, I mean it added it added a layer of explanation from at least one side.
1: Yeah, and and, and, and you know, SAP was well within his means to come out and and tweet his side of it, and and. I'm glad he did that, too, because that shows that, that –
2: He didn't back down. I mean, he said, yeah, it, this that was, shows this, that, I didn't do what they said I did. Yeah,
1: and that, and that shows that, you know, he's confident in himself and, you know, so.
2: Well, before we move on to recruiting and get out of here, I think we need to discuss some potential reasons how this could get better because people have been listening to us. By and large, I think we've been we, – we like to give real talk here on the GoBoss 24-7 podcast, brought to you by the GoBoss 24-7 podcast. And I think we've done that, but I think it's natural for any person who covers a team every day to think about the things a team can't do versus the things a team can do because you you see a team for so long, we're predisposed to think, okay, where are the holes? And with this team, there's a hell of a lot of holes. So there's a lot of things to look at, but there are also some things that if this team will just find a way To not play great up front, because that's not possible, but just play a little bit better up front. Just get a little bit more continuity up front. Just get a little more settled into things. At least stay in the way a little bit longer. If they can do that and they can stop, turn the ball over, then I think they have a chance with the receivers they have to make some things happen. Because I think when you've given Garantano time this year, the problem I've had with Garantano is some of his RPO decisions. Have not been good.
1: Well, it's not always been on him, though. Yeah,
2: and and you can tell that you can tell that the things that the coaches said about him this offseason, they were like, great physical talent, make every throw in the book, um, you know, wants to be good, works every day to be great, but he just for whatever reason, the previous staff did not tell him a lot about football in terms of what the defense <laughs> is trying to do to him. He would know what the offense is trying to do to a defense, but he didn't know what the defense was trying to do to him and how to how to exploit that and turn it around. And that is one area where I think you can still see with some of his decision-making that he just is still learning because it's his third year, but he, he he's never played a full season. He, he, he's he got room to grow here. And he can throw the ball. The throws he's made downfield I think have been really good by and large. So if they can protect him just a little bit, just a little bit, I think that they can pick some guys apart downfield.
1: Well, I, I think my three reasons for – I don't want to say optimism, but three reasons to think Tennessee could be better, much better now than – much better in November than in now, I should say, uh, is one, you expect a lot of these, these first-year guys, and I'm including guys like Dominic Wood Anderson, even Jameer Johnson, yeah. that are in their first year in this program and first year playing college football, Carvin, Thompson, Flowers, Melante mm-hmm. Taylor, so on and so forth. I mean, there's a lot of first-year guys that are playing to either starting or significant roles for this team. You expect them to get more comfortable and better over the course. Yep. You expect them to develop over the course of the season. Number two is you expect... Uh, particularly on defense, as they get more comfortable in the system. And the same could be, go, I mean, same could be said for the offense, too, as they get more comfortable um, learning the calls, understanding the checks, and, and, and getting more comfortable. The more they know what they're supposed to be doing, the more they can base how they play and, and they can focus on what the other team is doing and, and know how to play that off that, if that makes sense. Yep. If you know what you're doing in your sleep, like back of your hand, you can focus more on, okay, I got this look, I, can, I need to play this way. Uh, and that's what we see. You know, that's what we see with these Alabama and Georgia defenses is that they always seem to have a, a counter and they always seem to know what's coming. Uh, and so you can, uh, defensively, you can expect improvement there. Offensively, I think the offensive line's the biggest question mark. And uh, shoot, we might see Karon Calvert in the starting lineup on Saturday. Big boy. And you put him over there with. Uh, but Trey Smith, that's like six hundred something pounds of beef over there.
2: That's a, you're you're you you're damn near hitting seven hundred pounds there. That's a lot of beef.
1: That's a lot of dude and a lot of nastiness. Uh, those two guys, if if that's how it turns out being so,
2: and both Tennessee boys, which everybody if,
1: would love. Let's see if Calvert, you know, let's see what he's got. It's not the greatest place to start him, but hey, what you know? If, if it turns out that being the case, that could be interesting. And then you know, there's also the chance all situation mm-hmm. out there. It kind of seems like Pruitt is saying he's close. He's close. What's to say if he's ready after the open date to play more, to be you know, maybe one of your answers at guard? What's to say if he's not ready by November and your offensive line makes big steps with him in there? Uh, so, you know, there's a – and again, too, with the offense, they are learning a new scheme. It's a new blocking scheme. It's a new offense. Um, you expect you – know, even a guy like Trey Smith, who's not played great at all, really, the first four games of the season –
2: well, I think he's – Because natu- he's never –
1: he, A, he's rusty. B, he's playing left tackle, which he hasn't played very much.
2: I think he's naturally a guard or a right tackle. I don't think he's naturally a left tackle.
1: Either way, as you play – and Pruitt says this all the time, the more you do something, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. And so the better – the longer he plays at left tackle, the better he should get. So the biggest question mark with his offensive li- with his offense is the offensive line. And so those are maybe three scenarios where, hey, maybe they can get better. And the thing is – with his offensive line, is people are wondering, well, why haven't they benched Drew Richmond or benched this guy or benched that guy? Just have old wholesale changes. They don't have a lot of options behind those guys. I mean, correct. We saw Riley Locklear. I think Jameer Johnson might be dealing with. He he didn't. He looked like he was maybe he didn't do much at practice on Wednesday, and it wasn't because it looked like he might be not 100. percent I think mean, he's, um, he's dinged somewhere. So he might be dinged somewhere. Maybe that's why Riley Locklear played so much mm-hmm. on uh, against Florida. So. Um, there's not. They don't have a whole lot of options in terms of.
2: No, losing Kennedy really kind of hurt. Kennedy their hurt them.
1: Kennedy gave them, as we said at the time, their best five, whatever it was going to be. Always included him at center, and so they're mm-hmm. having to shuffle some guys around. Um, but I mean, if you take Drew Richmond out, what are you going to do? You going to put Marcus Tatum in there? Tatum hasn't proven to be the answer.
2: Oh. Guys, he's not the answer, That's and the he's not, and he's not physically what. No, he's not physically what Richmond is. And, and
1: who else do you have? I mean, you got Kingston Harris, who has been playing offensive line for two weeks.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, that's just that's what you're at. I mean, unless unless you can get a guy like Calbert ready or Paul Bane, Paul Bane, unless Bain. you can put, get
2: put Paul Bane over there. Yeah, he's bigger than some of
1: the guards we got. Um, no, that's Volcall's question. Uh,
2: <laughs> hashtag
1: Volcall's answer. Hashtag Volcall's callers. That's my Volcall's caller accent. I apologize if I offended anyone. Um, no, I don't.
2: Uh, Let's go to Patrick and Ripley. Patrick, <laughs> what do you think?
1: But I mean, that's that's the best. You, you know, this isn't the NFL. You can't bring in free agents or make a trade. So you got to you got to play the hand you're dealt. And the only quote unquote aces up the sleeve that this offensive line might have are a guy like Calbert, who's an unknown because he's barely played, or Chance Hall because he's still working his way back into form.
2: Yeah. And, but Pruitt has said consistently he thinks that group can be okay. And I don't think he's the kind of guy who says things he doesn't believe. So. Just because he hopes they might happen, I think he legitimately believes eh, he it might be can hoping. get it a little better. He might be yeah. hoping a little bit there, and he, he might be he
1: optimistic as a coach. And he might also be thinking, i are not playing very great; it can't get much worse." I, well, say,
2: I don't think he would say out loud no, that, like, that You're, if he didn't, I don't think he's out there being like, "Well, I think Jaron Tano, Tano, could be a Jared, Heisman guy." I was Jared joking. Tano. I said Jaron okay. He could be a Heisman guy. I don't think he says that. You know, he, he's clearly not going to say something he doesn't believe, I, also, I don't think.
1: I also think he's trying to give some guys a public votes of confidence, yes. if that makes sense, because confidence has been an issue with this program, especially mm-hmm. after last season. And he, he keeps taking that route with Garantano especially, even the other night saying, you know. If we give him some help and he keeps going, he could be a really nice quarterback. Other, he's made a re- other
2: than a couple of his RPO decisions, it's hard for me to complain about what Garrett right. is doing. One,
0: one of the things Pruitt really emphasized dur- during vol calls, uh, and he's, he's come across this a couple times this week, he's pointed out he, he's, he was impressed by some of the players coming in and watching film Sunday after the game on their own, and uh, that's normally an off day for the team, so you like that. But he's talked even more about just the, the look he saw from his players when they were down during the game. He said – It's like he saw a light come on for some of them, that they were still trying to learn and trying to improve, and he didn't previously see that. And he saw some signs of confidence from his players also, Mm -hmm. I think, coming out of that game. So I I, I think you're right. I think he's trying to give these guys some confidence, some some public votes of confidence, I guess, because they they haven't had that in the past, and he knows this this team has to, to get better, and it's on them to... To do that, obviously, and the only way they're going to do that is if they they feel good about themselves, and that's what good players do. They think they can go out there and make plays. So you you've got to make them feel feel that kind of confidence. But the other, the other thing I would point to is we talked about the other guys on the offensive line, but your best player hasn't been his best. His best player, Trey Smith, has not been very good. He's going to play better.
2: Neither's Nigel Warrior.
0: He's been yeah he's been shaking off the rust. Um, So I think that's a big deal. If Trey Smith can play better throughout the year, that that whole offensive line can get better.
2: The one thing that I'll say before we move on to recruiting is, is this is the bit, this this should give you the most reason for for confidence and the most reason to be terrified at the same time. And I'm not exaggerating. I really believe that. Pruitt said, and when you watch film, you can see 100% true. Some of those guys, a bunch of those guys, especially on defense, probably played their best game of the season. And... It's hard to say that when you see the score, but when you watch the film, I'm telling you, it was not that bad. It was just the offense turning the ball over. That's that's what completely turned the game around. So if guys continue to improve, and they should, then I think that they've got a chance. Uh, now, I will say this. Uh, if Garantano starts taking a pounding early in that game and it gets to be like a three-score game or something in the first half, just go ahead and take him out of the game. You're going to need him later in the season. You're going to want to develop with him later in the season. Don't S- don't get says, him killed.
1: Says the guy who loves Will McBride and wants to see <laughs> Willie football. <laughs> We've seen no, Killer Chris no, no, in I was, saying, game. I
2: was saying go go with Chris in that situation. We've because, seen Chris in every game. Hey, he'll play so again So he can get week.
1: knocked out, so they have to play McBride? I see what you're going for.
2: Well, no, I think that uh, being 6'5", 240 will help him in that way. I think he'll be able to take some hits. I mean, Garantano's a tough kid, but they, they need to be smart with him because they're going to need him. Uh, down the stretch, I think. And, and, and so the way to get him there might be, listen, he's tough, and he wants this to be his team. Let him go out there and start, and let's see what he can do. But if he starts getting the tar knocked out of him, just, just get him out. I mean, not, no one wants to see that kid in a body bag. So let, let's the, – the, the hits that he's taking during games, I mean, it, it goes back to like when Matt Sims was Tennessee's quarterback for me. When you're thinking, how in the world are you standing up right now? And Garantano apparently could have gone back in the game if it had been a close game and they needed him. So, hey, tough kid, tough kid. No doubt about that. Um, are we going to talk a little recruiting yeah, before we get out of
0: here? Very briefly. And well,
2: I, I... Now remember, remember, the best recruiting stuff is usually behind that good old paywall that so many of y'all love there at goboth247.com. Yeah. But I will say, for less than the price of one mediocre lunch, you get a full month's worth of coverage and you're cheap. And a jerk if you if you think that's too much. And, and
1: Ryan and Grant were getting they were getting a lot of reactions on on Sunday in the twenty four hours after yeah. the game. It was a lot really of, impressive. Good job, guys. Love well, appreciate
0: that. I was going to say that this the thing everyone's been wanting to know this week is, of course, you know, I, I've they seen lost some, everybody. Yeah, I've seen some people speculating like they're, they're going to lose eight commits. Even somebody on the Govals twenty four seven checkerboard, I think a longtime member, uh, you know, said I I think this setback Tennessee's recruiting two to three years, and I I just haven't seen that. I, I don't see any signs of that recruits you know we always say they they don't get too bent out of shape one way or the other about the, the outcome of a single game during a visit um you might think yeah this guy's on campus they need to play well in front of him but it but if you don't you know sure this was a missed opportunity for tennessee because if you win against a team like florida it's a great atmosphere players come away with an even better memory of, of being at the game but it's not a lasting memory in most cases and at the end of the day, they're picking a school based on opportunities for playing time, systems, coaches. It's things like that that lead, that lead players to pick a school not seeing a win in person. So at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. And and so far, the feedback we've gotten from everyone that we've spoken with this week has been, I, I'm, I'm not that worried about it. And, and part of the reason is Jeremy Pruitt's staff has done a good job of setting realistic expectations for this team. And as he said, even on on his radio show this week, you know, we are not we – we're – he said then that he's told recruits, and we've heard it throughout the year, if you've been he reading said,
2: our updates. He said this is the worst yeah, that th- Tennessee will ever be under and me. He's,
0: and he's been consistently telling players that over the past several months. So this was not a message that started after the West Virginia game or even after Saturday's game. He's been telling them this throughout the offseason, that this is this first year is going to be our worst year. And and when players heard that message, they're not surprised when they see games like Saturday. So, um, you know, one, one of the recruits I spoke with, Jamie Robinson, a four-star safety from Georgia who visited him for the first time, he was impressed that the crowd was as strong as it was, considering that he, he had the impression they weren't very good this year. He, he was impressed to see that they had what looked like a sellout crowd to him. Uh, so, so just the fact that um, they, they had that kind of atmosphere I think always helps you. And then, yeah, the fact that they lost in, in a game that had six turnovers even gave it a fluky kind of element, that even though they know this team isn't good, they say, eh, six turnovers. You can't beat anybody with six turnovers. So I I have not come across any recruits that have really been that uh, – that uh, down on Tennessee just because this game got away from them. I think in the long run they're going to be fine, and and for the most part, it's there. There were still some positives that can come out of this, not the least of which is coaches can can point to the players that were there at the game and say, "Hey, that's why we need you." As Chris Rump, the, yeah. the co-defensive coordinator, said this this week, uh, he was asked at the Knoxville quarterback club, "You know what, what what's your message to recruits after a game like that?" <laughs> and he said, "That's easy. You say that's why I'm recruiting you." Yeah. And that's that's literally is is what you tell them. And you say,
2: look at how many people I've put in the league so you can trust me. Yeah. And two, this is why I need you right now.
0: Yeah. And most of the players who are, who are interested in Tennessee, it's because they think Jeremy Pruitt has things going in the right direction. Not because they're being good now, not because they're playing well and going to win a lot of games this year, but it's because they think they're going to be good eventually under Jeremy Pruitt. And again, like Jeremy Pruitt said, that these, those guys that we're recruiting don't have to – they're not on this team. They don't have to worry about what happens this year. They can look ahead to the future. You can project that they're going to get better, just the same way Georgia's recruits the first year under Kirby Smart couldn't have been that excited about a seven and five season. It was what they thought Kirby Smart was going to do at Georgia, and and the guys who jumped in that first year are being rewarded now with with some success at Georgia. So I and, and again, Jeremy Pruitt's still going to get a lot of mileage out of the fact that he's been at a lot of places where he's won a lot of games, including Alabama, that still is going to speak highly to recruits of what they can do uh, at Tennessee. So all that's going to sell. And I think they're going to be just fine. I really haven't seen any negative effects from Saturday's game and, uh, you know, the official visitors they had in town had a great time, so I I think it really wasn't as bad a weekend as people might think in recruiting.
2: So there's there's nothing there there's not a little bit of leg you can tease them with here on uh yeah I, just on maybe one or two guys just just show a little bit of stop, leg here. Stop talking not, about not high the school. Thing, not stop, the whole thing. Not
1: the whole thing. Stop stop talking about the legs of high school boys. Yeah, that's,
2: that's a little creepy. Man.
0: But uh no, if I, you
2: I, think that's what I meant, yeah no. Trey you Knox, the
0: four-star receiver from Murfreesboro, he's coming up on a decision. He's he's announcing on Monday, and I I think that one's trending more Arkansas now. I, I think Tennessee was. Good luck, kid. Tennessee Tennessee was already kind of chasing in that one I think and and it was just a matter of whether they could make up enough ground and I don't think they they quite did just based on what we've heard so far so I I think that one is likely uh going to be tough for Tennessee to pull out in the end uh the one to watch coming out of this weekend I think uh he was on an official visit Eric Gray the four-star Michigan running back commitment Tennessee still needs a running back in this class and I'm not sure Aaron Beasley will or, or will not be that guy but either way I think they still want a running back and eric gray is in a not so deep running back class having a guy like that in state is a very good option for them so i think that's someone to definitely watch um you know other than that it they they missed out on getting a couple elite guys in talent they wanted to get on on campus for that game uh guys like owen papo didn't make the trip chris bogle was a you know that that was a an unfortunate development for Tennessee not to get him there, but uh, I, I think they still had a good weekend and uh, for the most part really impressed some of those guys. But those, those are the two among the official visitors for sure that I think are worth watching. And obviously Darnell Wright, the five-star offensive tackle from West Virginia, sure you, you could have played better in front of him, but he saw a need on Tennessee's offensive line yeah. since he was at that do game. Do I want
2: to start as a freshman? Yeah, I can so do I, that, that,
0: that matters to him, and, and I think that's that's still something that's going to resonate with him. I think Tennessee's still in good shape there.
2: That makes sense to me. I think that makes sense, Patrick. Did that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, good job, Ryan. Well,
2: thanks. <laughs> good job, Ryan. We'll never say that again, ever. But good job. I right believe there. you on that. Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. We'll be back next week with another weekly recap. At least one episode, maybe two, maybe two, since we're we're gonna have basketball media day coming up next week. And just remember, guys, if you listen very very carefully, you can almost hear the sound of that bouncing basketball. So. Uh, that that if you're if you're looking for a winner, and you're not you don't just want to be a golf school. Tennessee ranked number one in the country in men's golf. Shout out to new coach Brendan Webb for that. But obviously we know that a lot of y'all are here for the football, and we will have much more on that next week. You can always get us on the website govals247.com where you can get a full month subscription for less than you're going to pay for one mediocre lunch. It's a really good deal. Give us a shot or if you want to just be a freebie we also have some decent free stuff you can get there on the website all the time uh, so we have something for the for the for the free people uh, for the freeloaders and, and we got stuff for the the good VIP subscribers that are our BFFs or you can get us on Facebook at facebook.com/govals247 you can get us on Twitter at twitter.com/govals247 i'm on Twitter at Wes Rucker 24 247 patrick's on Twitter at pbrown247 Uh, Ryan Callahan is on Twitter, if you dare give him a shout-out, Ryan Callahan247. And Grant Ramey, who is not a team player, is just on Twitter as Grant Ramey. So that's how you can get to us. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll be back next week. And as always, Pat, you got any final thoughts? Go Braves. Go Cubs. Go America.